Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Good to see you. We are continuing and off the map. I'm loving this series uh, because following Jesus really does take you off the map in so many ways. If you've missed part of the series, let me encourage you to download it on your podcast. You can get, uh, we're podcasting them on Spotify and Apple, as well as you can check out sermons on the app and online and all of that. So catch up. It's been quite an adventure so far. And we continue this week. Now, if you brought a Bible, I need you to open up to First Kings. There's two Kings. There's a First Kings and a Second Kings, First Kings chapter 19, that's where we're going to hang out today. Uh, and if you have a paper Bible, there's an index in the front of it, and it's inspired by the Lord. And you can open up there, and you can find uh, where First Kings is and turn to chapter 19. If you have a device, you know what to do. Uh, and we'll be there in just a few minutes. But before we get there, I have to set up the background for what we're going to read today. Um, in, in the history of Israel, the most famous prophet they ever had was a guy named Elijah, Elijah was uh, one of the superstars of the faith, a follower of God, uh, uh, the, the prophet that they look back on, and, and uh, there's so much about Elijah. At any rate, Elijah lives at a time where there's a king, his name is Ahab, and uh, there's a little bit of a rub between Ahab and Elijah and the prophets of God. That's going on at that point in time. But God gives Elijah this message to give to the king. So Elijah shows up, knocks at the door. They usher him in. The king will hear him. Uh, he motions to him, what do you have to say? Uh, now, Elijah is taking his life in his hands because there is this rub between the king and, and the prophets and between the followers of God. And, but Elijah is being obedient and he's wondering if he's going to survive this because he could be killed for saying what he's about to say. And this is what he says to, to the king. He says, as God has commanded, there will not be rain anymore on this land until I say so. Now, he is declaring economic ruin over the nation of Israel. They're an agrarian culture. Uh, they grow their food. I mean, everything is, is, is about growing stuff, right? And without water, nothing grows. The, the plants don't grow. The grass doesn't grow, so they can't feed their animals. And, and, and declaring that there's going to be a drought as judgment from God against the nation of Israel is not going to make the king very happy. And the king could easily have Elijah offed, but he doesn't. The king looks at him, kind of cocks his head sideways, and then just begins to laugh. <laughs> and the whole court begins to follow. They follow the lead of the king, and they all laugh, and they laugh Elijah out. And Elijah's walking out going, I get to live. I don't care that they're laughing at me. I get to be alive. And he walks out, and the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, run and hide. And that's exactly what he does. Because over the coming weeks, they're going to notice that it's not raining. And then over the coming months, they're going to notice that the streams are drying up. And then over the coming years, they're going to see that what Elijah has had to say was actually true. And the king puts together a search party and sends them out to look for Elijah over those three years, but they can't find him anywhere. And then Elijah shows up again and he goes to King Ahab and he says, King Ahab, here's what we're going to do. I want you to take, we're going to settle this once and for all. I want you to bring your employees. And this is really the rub between King Ahab and the Lord. See, King Ahab has 
has um, married somebody um, named Jezebel. Anybody ever familiar with the name Jezebel? It's never made the, the list of the top 100 most popular names. Nobody wants to be called Jezebel. 2,800 years later, we know how wicked Jezebel was. Nobody wants to be a Jezebel or called Jezebel or anything like that. She's a really wicked lady. She's a Phoenician. They live over by the shore on the eastern part of Israel. And it was a strategic marriage between Ahab, king of Israel, and Jezebel because the Phoenicians have a... a, uh, they have ships and they have, they're strong militarily and they know how to work with metal better than the, the Israelites. And so he was applauded for marrying her, but she brought some baggage with her. And the baggage that Jezebel brought with her was, well, a kind of a satanic worship of these false gods, one called Baal, and Baal worship was nasty stuff. He was the god of success. Happens to be the two gods that we worship today. We just don't call them this, right? The god of success and, and Asher, the, or Asherah, the, the god of, of sexuality, right? Um, and those are, what do we, you know, I mean, these are the, the false gods of, of, I think, every age. But at any rate, that's what they were called then. And Baal had all this nasty stuff associated with them. They would actually sacrifice their children, their babies, to Baal. It was nasty. And you can imagine what happened at the, you know, a share of worship. Actually, don't don't imagine that. That's don't imagine that. All right, so not helpful in church. But at any rate, so she got, she comes uh, she marries Ahab and and she's like Ahab, honey, uh, I, I'm a princess, and so it's going to be kind of expensive to keep me. But you knew that going in. Uh, I need 850 priests on the pay- payroll. 450 priests for Baal. 400 pri- priests for Asherah, and, uh, and, and, and that is going to be, that's just part of the deal. It comes with me. And so she begins to lead the nation away from Yahweh worship, the, the God of Israel, the, the true God, into worshiping these satanic religions. And so Elijah shows up three years later after this drought is, is full-blown and the, the nation is crippled by it. And he says, look, Ahab, here's what we're going to do. I want you to bring your employees, these priests, and you're going to meet me up on Mount Carmel. And when we get up to Mount Carmel, we're going to have a showdown. We're going to have two altars, two bulls, no matches. And when we get there, your priests can build a, an altar and sacrifice a bull to their God, and, and, uh, and I will do the same. And then whichever God can light the fire without matches wins. Like that's the real God. We're going to follow that God. And Ahab's thinking, well, you know, Baal, he, he like controls the lightning. We've got this thing covered, right? And so they get there and they build the altar and the, the, the Baal worshipers go first. 450 priests put the bull on the altar and they start chanting and dancing and uh and it's kind of getting worked up and elijah's like starts taunting them starts trash talking them <laughs> maybe he's in the bathroom you know you should probably scream louder maybe he's on vacation or maybe he's asleep and they just get they get more worked up and more worked up and to the point where nothing's happening and and then they begin to cut themselves thinking somehow that's going to spur him to action nothing happens and Elijah finally, after half a day of this, is like, enough, I'm going to go. And so he has his altar and puts the bull on it and says, hey, before we do this, let's, let's just stop. Before we do this, can you pour some water on that? So they get buckets of water and they pour it on the, on the altar. 
And he goes, ah, do it again. And they do it again. Third time. And they douse it so much so that there's a puddle of water all around the altar. Everything is soaking wet. And he's like, all right. And then he says, now, Lord, just to, to show them that the last three years really was you, your judgment on, on our nation for going astray, would you, would you light this altar on fire? And <laughs> the whole thing blows up into a fireball. And, and it's like, whoa, this is like epic. Like if this were a movie, it'd be like, wow. It wasn't a, a movie, it was real. Well, the people lose their minds. They're like, oh my God. And Elijah's like, yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Now, he's the real God. We're supposed to follow him. This God can't do anything. This God's just some fake satanic God. This is the real God. We're going to follow him. And the people are like, what do we do? And he goes, well, the first thing we need to do is we need to get these satanic priests out of here. And the people kill all the satanic priests. And they're like, all right, well, I guess that's over. And Elijah then goes and he says, God, you know, bring some rain. It hasn't rained here in three years and prays for rain. And his assistant comes over to him and goes, hey, there's a cloud forming over to the east. And he keeps praying. He goes, hey, there's a bigger cloud. It's getting bigger. And then finally he's like, we better get off the mountain. There's a storm coming. And they run and the storm comes in. And Ahab runs back to the palace and to, to his lovely bride Jezebel. And Jezzy's there, you know, that's what he called her. Actually, that's not in the book, but and he's probably like, you know, well, hi, Jezzy. And she's like, well, how did my priest do? Uh, yeah, about your priests, they're all dead. <laughs> well, Jezebel's not happy at that point. And let's just read 1 Kings 19, verse 1. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sends for a messenger to, to send to Elijah. And this is what the messenger says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, it's a death threat. Elijah, you're a dead man. I'm going to have you snuffed out by tomorrow. Now, what does Elijah have to fear? I mean, really, he is on a winning streak. He has called the drought he, uh, while he was gone, and you can go back and read this, but while he was gone, he befriended a widow and her son, and the, the son died, and he brought him back to life. I mean, God protected him over those three years and kept his life safe. He, he, he calls down fire from heaven like that day, prays up a rainstorm. The satanic priests are gone. I mean, it is amazing. The people are with him at this point. He's got nothing to be afraid of. Right? So let's read on in, in verse 3. It says, Elijah was, he was afraid and he ran for his life. What happened? Really? I mean, I mean, you just, you just rocked it, brother. What's going on? Why are you afraid? And the words of a critical woman send him running. Now there's a sermon there that I'm not going to preach today because I don't have time. But there's a sermon there. We probably should come back on that. The power of the critical, of critical words, feminine critical words specifically, is powerful, powerful stuff. But that's another sermon. So I'll, I'll continue. What happens next, I think, speaks to where every one of us live from time to time. 
And in fact, as much as I like chapter 18 and the, the fire on the mountain and the victory and all that, I think chapter 19 is way more pertinent to where we are most of the time. And that's where we're going to spend our time because Elijah doesn't stay on the mountain. He runs to the valley. And a lot of times in this life, we don't stay on the mountain either. In fact, I would say most times we end up in valleys from time to time. And how we navigate those, well, let me just say this. There's a lot here to help us navigate those times. It goes on, it says, when he, became, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. That's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, the, the prophet of God, one of the superstars of, of the faith in all of history, is at the end of himself. He's got nothing left. He's like, God, just take me now. Heaven would be better. I don't want to live anymore. And Elijah knows the power of prayer. And, of course, God doesn't snuff him out. But he has gotten to the end of himself. And my question to you is, what happened? How did he get there? How does he go from calling the drought, raising the dead, calling down fire from heaven, victory over the satanic prophets, rain, the whole deal? How does he go from that, this winning streak with God, to now I'm under a tree in the wilderness asking God to just snuff out my life? He is in despair. He is in distress. He is disappointed. And he is depressed. And I would suggest to you that Elijah is in a place that every one of us will get to in our lives from time to time. And if you don't think you have or will, you're probably not being 100% honest with yourself because we all walk through the valley from time to time. And so what I want to do is I want to look at how he got there and then what, the, what we can learn from him about how to get out of the valley or avoid the valley. And so what's the real story? How does, he, how does he end up there? What gets Elijah to this place? And there's some things that we can see just in the, in the text itself. First thing is this, difficult people, difficult people. It is amazing to me that there are seven and a half billion people in the world and it takes just one person to wreck your day. Just one, I mean, you would think maybe a hundred, I don't know, but just one. You know, this is true. If you work in customer service, you, you, you can have the greatest day ever and people are complimenting you. Know, one cranky, angry customer can ruin your day. How much more so if you have to like live with the person <laughs> or work with them? You know, I, I, I worked with somebody years back where, where they were the most... They were kind of deceitful behind the scenes and they were... They were um, they're just mean, and uh, it ruined. I mean, like, I got to the point where, like, I didn't want to get up and go to work anymore. I was like, Lord, just take me out. This sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. And it was just one difficult person. You ever been there? Difficult people. Secondly, getting physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. Elijah is physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. He has had a lot of ups, but there have been some downs along the way. Uh, he's exhausted. And you know the thing about the human body is, is that we don't have a gas gauge, right? I mean, you're driving down the road in your car with a gas gauge, and you're like, oh, 
half tank. We should stop and get some gas. We fill back up. We keep going. With the human body and the human inner world, we just, we just keep running and running and running until we run out of gas. I was on my four-wheeler the other day cruising down the trail, and all of a sudden it starts going. It doesn't have a gas gauge, by the way. And I'm like cruising along, bebopping, having a good time, and all of a sudden it just goes. And I'm like, oh, I'm out of gas. Now on the four-wheeler, there's a little switch up here that I can flip and it, it, the gas valve, and it puts it onto reserve tank, and then I can make my way home. Deuce, wherever you are, remind me to put gas in the four-wheeler because we ran it all day yesterday on reserve. And, and so we need to know, we need to get gas in that tank and then flip it back over. But in our bodies, we don't have a reserve. And the truth is many of us are sputtering and running on fumes. And, it's, and, and what that looks like is we become very short. We become cranky maybe even angry and critical. And that's our gas gauge. And we're out of gas when that starts happening. Elijah has been chased by the army for three years. He raised the boy from the dead, but it was after he died. And this boy that he cared about, he watched the nation he loved languish and turn its back on God. He has this showdown with the prophets of Baal up on the mountains. There's a huge victory, but then there's always that letdown after the huge victory. He runs 17 miles. So there's, there's physical, there's emotional, there's spiritual ups and downs, and he is out of gas. He's exhausted. Now, here's, here's the situation that we face in 2017. I think as a culture, by and large, we are exhausted. It used to be when I would ask people, how you doing? Which is just a general greeting. People would smile, you know, whether it was true or not, they'd smile and go, oh, good, you know, fine, everything's great. Now I would say half the people I ask, if not more, when I say, how you doing? They say, tired. It's a national epidemic. I mean, we're exhausted. Now, do you realize that it wasn't until the 1930s that we had electricity in houses all over the country? Like there was electricity before that, but it became ubiquitous. It, was, it was, became everywhere in about the 1930s. Up to that point, people would blow out the candle. Can you imagine? This is less than 100 years ago. <laughs> They'd blow out the candle at 8.30 and they would go to sleep. And when the days were shorter or days were longer, like in the wintertime, they would sleep 9, 10, 11 hours. And when the days were shorter in the summertime, you don't need as much. If you, have you noticed that? You don't need as much sleep in the summertime as you do in the wintertime. But you know what we do? We flip on the light and we just push through. And nobody's getting that much sleep. And we're, we're totally out of sync with the rhythms of the earth and the rhythms of our bodies, and we don't get to sleep. And then in the 1950s, which was way less than 100 years ago, the television landed in everybody's home. Now we can entertain ourselves until the middle of the night while we have the lights on, while we deprive ourselves of sleep. And so, so we we're doing that. And then about 10 years ago, the smartphone showed up. Boy, that changed things, didn't it? And now we can, we can be anywhere. It's fantastic. 5G's coming. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and where we used to go to bed and get 8, 9, 10, 11 hours of sleep, now we, you know, we struggle to get 5 or 6. And 
the lights are on all night and the television's on and we're constantly connected to information and input and our brains weren't built for it. And as a society, we're pushing our bodies past where they were built to go. And what we're seeing is mass burnout and mass depression. The suicide rate is up. Just over the last 15 to 20 years, it's up 25%, which is an indication of depression, by the way. Because we are pushing ourselves and we're sputtering as a culture and we're tired. And the pressures are more that we face today are, I think, in some ways, more than the world has ever faced outside of wartime. You know, we, 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 we compare ourselves to each other online. We, we, we look at each other's highlight reels and you're like, oh, man, I, and I have to make a meal like that too that I can put, take a picture of and put online so everybody knows that I'm a great mom? And, 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 the, and the pressure for success and the pressure for keeping up and, and, the, and, and then with just the, the weight of the world. You know, it used to be you'd get news a month later and, and it was, you know, what happened somewhere else and now it happens in real time on Twitter or whatever else and, or at least on the 24-hour news cycle and the things are better now than they have been in our lifetimes as far as the crime rates and everything else but it feels like it's something's happening all the time and it's in my neighborhood and it might be on the other side of the world and we carry that and we're constantly stimulated and in the midst of all that, the family structure is breaking down, which is creating an unbelievable stress, and we're getting less sleep on top of that. And we wonder why when we ask, how you doing? Tired, that the answer is tired. And you know how we cope? Do you know how we cope? Red Bull and Starbucks, baby. All the caffeine we can get, and we're sputtering, but we're juicing the system a little bit to keep to keep moving, but we're sputtering. Third thing we see with Elisha is isolation. Now, there's a difference between solitude, which is a good thing, but it's just short-term pulling away to be alone with ourselves, our thoughts, and with God, and isolation, which is just not being with anybody really. And Elijah is out in, this, out in the desert by himself under this tree, and he is isolated. And when we get alone, we get focused on our own stuff. We can't see what's going on around us. And it can spiral, can it? And, and, and guys, we're not very good at this, at not being isolated. And ladies, you do way better than we do at having friends and sharing your feelings, right? Guys... We have friends, we have acquaintances, we can talk about sports, we can talk about, you know, politics, we can talk about whatever else, but it's all kind of out here. But who are you sharing your soul with? And you're like, I'm a guy, I don't want to share my soul. Exactly, either do I. But if you don't have some people that you can share with about what's real in your life and what's going on, you'll turn inside yourself. And so many guys do. We did man camp couple weeks ago and it was awesome it was so amazing but one of the most profound times during man camp was just the campfire at night where you got a group of small group of guys sitting around the campfire campfires they're like truth serum you know I mean they just pull out what's real 
And guys started sharing what was, and, and, and it was like maybe some of them for maybe the first time, here's what's real in my life. And you could just see God working in the midst of that. And he does. He does. I'm in a uh, life group. And we don't sit around, it's a life group full of guys, we don't sit around and talk about our feelings every week, but we can if we need to, and there are times that we do, and this is going on, I'm struggling in my marriage, or I'm struggling at work, and, and we pray for each other, and we encourage each other, and those are some of the most powerful times. They really are. And, and, and isolation, I mean, you can be, have all kinds of people around you and be isolated, but when we can get connected, man, powerful things happen. Even Jesus chose to walk with 12, right? He didn't isolate himself because that will lead you to the pit of despair. Well, what do we do about it? How do we avoid the pit of despair? How do we, how do we get out of it if we're, we're in it? And before I jump into this, I need to do a little disclaimer because we're talking about depression. And depression is real. And, I, and here's what I would say. All of us we'll have times where we're depressed. All of us will have times where we're low, where we're blue, when we feel isolated, all of those things. That's part of the human journey. It just is. Some of us more than others, but we will all go through things that will lead us there from time to time. It's just part of being human. So like drop the mask and we don't have to pretend anymore, okay? But there are some of us who are dealing with something more significant than what I'm talking about today. And what I say, I'm saying, going to teach you today, it does apply to you, and these things will help you, but you need maybe a little more, right? Because there are some of us who are dealing with a chemical imbalance in our body. Maybe you have postpartum depression. That is a chemical imbalance in your body, and it is a medical condition, and there's no shame in that. And you need to seek medical help for that. Yes, you need prayer, but you also need to see a doctor. Some of us are dealing with bipolar disorder or some kind of long-term deep depression that we just can't get out of. Chances are you're dealing with a chemical imbalance in your body. It is a medical condition. You need to seek medical help. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Say yes. All right, this is important because what I'm talking about today, it will help you. Oh, there's no doubt it will help you. It applies to every, every one of us because we will all end up there from, from time to time. But you need to seek prayer, but you need to also seek a doctor. And there's some resources in the program that will help you track that down. And if you want to grab a pastor afterwards, we'd love to pray with you and help steer you in the right direction as well. So what I'm about to say, listen up, take notes, apply it to your life, and then go see your doctor if you're in that category. So how do we avoid and get out of pits? How do we avoid and get out of the pit of despair? First thing you need to know, this is profound, write it down. Pens, I'm going to hear the pens clicking. Oh, wow, that's awesome. All right. Take a nap. No, write it down. I, I, seriously, write it down. Take a nap. Take a nap. That's what Elijah does. He says, then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Praise God. You know, God can't do much with Elijah in the condition that he's in. God can't do much with you when you're at the end of yourself, when you're depleted, when there's nothing left. You just need to take a nap. All right, that'll preach, huh? So, you know, 
I've, I've been reading lately about uh, mindsets and the power of mindsets. It's just fascinating, absolutely fascinating stuff. But different regions have different mindsets. Did you know that? And, 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 and mindsets are like there are a set of mindsets that really kind of characterize different regions. And one of the mindsets of our area, Pittsburgh, Upper Ohio Valley, is one of, of just work ethic. Like when I relax, I feel guilty. Somebody say amen. All right. And when I relax, I feel guilty. Taking a break doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do. We take a break to watch a football game, and then we get right back to work, right? And that's, that's how that works. But if you continue to do that and do that and do that and do that, you will eventually wear yourself out. Can I get an amen? All right, so this is kind of one of those underlying scripts that runs in the back of our heads that will make us crazy over time, and it will wear you out, and you will become tired. And I wish that I could preach a sermon that would overcome that, like, listen, if you just listen to this sermon or you, you do this Bible study, then it's going to help you with your tiredness. But there's only one solution to tiredness, and it's not a spiritual solution. Do you know what it is? Sleep. Sleep. Yeah, you need to take a nap. And in fact, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap because you're no good to God and you're no good to anybody else when you're all worn out. So take a nap. And number two, this is even better. Are you ready? I can definitely get mass amens on this. Eat some good food. Praise the Lord. Huh? That's right. As a Sicilian, this is very near and dear to my heart. Eat some good food. Eat some good food. If you're a vegetarian, you might need to eat a steak. I'm just kidding. If you're, if you're a meat eater, broccoli's probably on your menu. I mean, but eat some nutritious food, something that's not all processed and nasty, but something that's going to nourish your body. I was just talking to a friend this morning, and she was telling me about how she's changed her diet and, uh, and eliminated a lot of the junk food and is eating good food and feels completely different. Eat some good food. It's spiritual. It's in the Bible. It says, at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. I love this. I love it. Nobody told me there was a Panera angel. I love it. <laughs> Big loaf, of English muffin bread, cooked over some hot coals, kind of that smoky flavor. I mean, it was like, ugh. And he eats and he drinks and he goes and he takes another nap. When you're run down, take a nap. It's okay. Eat some good food. Eat some good food. You know, uh, Sunday afternoons, I, I start my Sunday morning around 5.30 in the morning. And uh, by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm done. I know this doesn't look exhausting, but this wears me out I, in a good way. I love preaching, but it takes everything I have, and I leave it all on, on the platform. I get home by 2 o'clock. I'm like, I'm going upstairs to close my eyes for a few minutes. My family knows that that means I am going upstairs to drool and snore for about two hours <laughs> because my body needs it. And I, then I can be present for the rest of the day. It's, it's like nothing, nothing against my, the rest of my extended family, but when you guys come over at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for lunch, I'm doing everything I can to just stay awake and be with you guys. But when I get that nap, I'm good at 4, right? I'm good at 4. And, and, and you have to give your body the rest and nutrition that it needs. Give me the Panera Angel any day. 
I know that we think self-care is selfish, but self-care is not selfish. Let's say that together. I'll say this to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, self-care is not selfish. It's not. Because you're no good to you. You're no good to your family. You're no good to God when you're not taking care of yourself and you've worn yourself out and you're out of gas. Hey, quit the elbows out there, all right? You know, how about you? I mean, there are some of us, we have that workaholic thing going and scripts going in the back of our brain and we're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. There's some single moms. You, you're trying to do the job of mom and dad and all of it and, and, and make it work and make ends meet and need, probably need some help along the way. And I, my hope is that the church could be a, a support and a help to you as well. But, but you know, like you probably need a nap. And it's probably okay to take a nap. Let them know. I'll call them back in a minute. Um, there are people who own your own business, and you're never off. You're always working. And you probably need to just catch your breath. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're sitting there going, well, you just gave everybody permission to, to take naps. You just gave everybody permission to be lazy. And listen, I don't have time for that sermon either, but the Bible is full of warnings against being a sluggard and being lazy, okay? So that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that God wants you to take care of yourself and that God sees when you're out of gas and when you are, you need to take a nap and you need to eat some good food and you need to refill your tank. Burnout, take it from somebody who's been there, is not a sign of faithfulness. It's not a sign of being smart. It's not a sign of anything good. It's a horrible place to end up. You don't want to end up there. And we're making it thanks to Starbucks and Red Bull. We are a caffeinated culture, but we're not doing well. And we're sputtering. And our fuses are short. Our minds are distracted. And we're barely keeping our, our heads above water. So what do you do? Well, Elijah took a second nap. That might be helpful for you. Do you know who the first person to take a nap was in, in all of history? God. On the seventh day, he rested. He took a nap. Not because he needed a nap, but because he knew we needed an example to follow. Because we would be tempted to just work and work and work. And some of you are like, what's wrong with that? Listen to the sermon again. <laughs> God set the example of rest and how important it is in our life. Well, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. So he ate and slept and then he ate and slept again. Are you getting this? Eat, sleep, repeat. Eat, sleep, repeat. He was restored to the point that he could make the journey makes the journey, gets to the cave, eat, sleep, repeat. And then he does something that's so profound, something that, that uh, I think it's a lost art in the modern Christian church because we're so busy saying, God is good all the time, which is a true statement. But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? And what Elijah does next is powerful. He vents to God. He gets real with God. 
This is what he says. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. See if you can hear the whininess in his voice. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And he just lets God have it. This is what I'm feeling, God. This is the reality of of where I am. And he's venting to God. And then God shows up. And God, in the midst of that, it's like God says, look, Elijah, I hear you. And I'm going to meet you in this. And you can go and read this in 1 Kings 19 uh, because I'm going to skip this where God shows up and how God shows up. But after all of that, and he hears the still small whisper of God, God asks him the same question. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah repeats the same thing. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And we think God doesn't want to hear us twice. I mean, if he, he would want to hear my, my complaints and my, my, the true, my true feelings that aren't positive, then he's probably only going to want to hear them once. Elijah says the same thing twice. And he's very real with God. We think God can't handle our feelings, that we somehow have to protect him from what we're really feeling, or that we should somehow feel shame because it's not positive enough what we are feeling. And in reality, God is just happy that we're being honest. He can handle it. Pretending is not a Christian virtue. Pretending is not a Christian virtue. And if there were any doubt, just look at the superstars of faith throughout history. Moses. Anybody ever hear Moses? Three of you. You guys are pathetic. <laughs> there was this guy named Moses. No, I'm just... I'm not. So Moses, he's leading the Israelites through the desert. They're whining and complaining. They're, they're like, give us me to eat. We need this and that. And, and so he just, he goes to God. This is what he says. He says, why have you brought me this? Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. That's Moses. That's Moses. And the truth is, guys, every one of us is going to have days like that. That's part of living in the skin. That's part of being a human being. And I think God is pleased. I think he's looking at Moses going, well, finally you're done pretending with me. And I think the same thing happens when we get real with God and stop pretending as well. Now, let me just say this. We've seen Elijah... And we've seen Moses both go, God, just kill me now. There is a difference between getting to the end of yourself and going, God, heaven looks better than this. Take me now. That kind of desperation. There's a difference between that and I'm going to hurt myself or I'm going to take my own life or I'm having suicidal thoughts. And if you are, 
thinking about hurting yourself or having suicidal thoughts. You need to seek help, right? There in your program is the number for the suicide hotline. And any pastor here, you can grab any one of us. We would love to talk with you and help you navigate that. But that's different than what we're seeing in Elijah and Moses. They're just at the end of themselves, and they're like, God, just take me now. They're not hurting themselves. They're just expressing their exasperation. Does that make sense? Okay. It's very, a very important distinction because when you cross that line and you're now thinking about hurting yourself, you, need, you definitely need some people to help you navigate that. But we think God can't handle it, and we forget that 41, or 51 of the 150 psalms are complaints to God. We forget that Jeremiah, the second most famous prophet in the history of Israel, wrote these words, Cursed be the day I was born, may the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news. What'd that guy do? I don't know. Who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Wow. And, and then just if there's any doubt, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the day, night before he, he's crucified, goes to God and says three different times in desperation, emotional desperation, God, this is a bad idea. Let's not do this. Come up with plan B. Come on. And he cries out to God. And he tells God exactly what he's thinking. I think we've lost the art of venting to God in the pursuit of positivity above all else. Now I'm all about being positive. I really am. But when we're not there, God doesn't want us to pretend. Venting to God is powerful. And somehow when we don't, we just harbor that anger towards God rather than venting it and dealing with it. And being angry with God is dangerous. But telling God you're angry is prayer. And there's a difference. One is stuffing it down and pretending and letting it fester inside. And the other is dealing with it and talking it through with your heavenly father. Well, in verse 15, it says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Saphat from Abel Mahala, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And God says to Elisha, look, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's, there's some good people. There's some good men who are going to make great kings and we're going to turn this thing around and their hearts are towards me. There's a guy named Elisha who will not only be your replacement when you, it's time for you to go, but is going to be your friend and your cohort in ministry in the, mid, in the meantime. You're not going to do this alone. And while you are under that tree, all kind of isolated and focused on yourself, you're unable to see that there are 7,000 people right in your zip code who are still worshiping me. You're not alone. You're not alone. Go find your people, Elijah. Go find them. There's 7,000 of them there. And this just leans right into a basic principle of 
mental, spiritual, and emotional health. And that is all people need people. All people need people. Which brings me to the fourth point, don't go it alone. If you find yourself in the pit of despair or heading towards this pit of despair, don't go it alone. Do not isolate yourself. Because when we do, we get focused on our own problems and we have a hard time hearing God's whispers and we have a hard time seeing that there are people all around us. This is why we do life groups, right? I mean, part of why we do life groups is because you'll forget what we talked about here by Wednesday unless you come back around on it. And we want you not just to hear a good sermon, but to, to live it out. And part of that is just spending time with it and talking it through with other people. But the other part of why we do it it's because you need people. We all need people. And the who matters, right? Like you'll never hear me tell you don't have non-Christian friends. I'm not going to tell you not. In fact, I will tell you, you should have a lot of non-Christian friends and hopefully be shining the light of Christ in their life and helping them find and follow God. I'm all for that. But you must have some Christian friends that you're doing life with. The who matters. God sends Elijah to get Elisha. You need people in your life who can encourage you and point you in the right direction and extend the grace and mercy and love of Jesus into your life and into your situations. And when you need to go, here's what's really going on. They're going to come around you and encourage you and pray for you and help you carry that weight. You need those people in your life. If you don't have them, life doesn't go as well. Elijah, Elijah couldn't hear the whisper of God, couldn't see the 7,000 people because he was isolated. Don't go it alone. That's why we, again, why we do life groups so you know you're not alone. That's why we do Stephen's ministry. If you're not familiar with our Stephen's ministry, it's a, a, a one-on-one ministry where we've got people who have been trained to walk one-on-one with, with you if you're going through a really hard time because you need You need people. You need someone who will listen. You you need that. That's why we do our 180 student ministry. Because when you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, you can feel all alone at the school. Like you're the only Christian there. In reality, there's a bunch of others. And we got to get together, spend that time, and remember that we're not alone. Elijah goes and finds Elisha. Changes everything. I love chapter 18, the fire on the mountain. Love it. Love that story. Love the God shows up. It's powerful. It's dramatic. You know, I mean, I picture laser beams from heaven. I don't know. It's, it's awesome. But I think I like 19 more because this is where we all live from time to time. And, 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 and to me, it, it, it shows that, that God gets it. He made you. He knows you're going to wrestle with this issue. He knows there are going to be times where you feel like, oh, just take me now, God. Because Elijah did. Others in the Bible. God has mercy for our lives in the midst of those, and he walks with us, and he's waiting for us to be honest. He's waiting for us to take a nap. He's waiting for us to eat some good food. He's waiting, and he has mercy for us in the midst of that. He's waiting for us to be real with him, with some others. And he's waiting for us to find our people. And as we do, the pit of despair doesn't come as often. And when we're in it, 
we can walk out of it. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for your mercy on our lives. Thanks, God, that you get that we're human beings and we're frail and we struggle. And, Lord, thanks for, your, for just giving us uh, a pattern to, to walk out of such places, Lord. I pray for everyone here, everyone listening online, that you'd fill us with your spirit and you'd help us to live this out. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.